missing blanks. One, E, all slander. Words of anger, words spoken in anger. Slander can almost be somewhat misleading. I guess, as I said earlier, the Greek is um, blasphemy, blasphemia, um, which can mean all manner of corrupt, coarse, harsh words. Um, slander certainly fitting into that, but it could be broader than slander, certainly. Um, uh, so, yeah. Any other missing blanks? Okay. Oh, Adam, was your hand up? No, his hand was not up. Okay, then any questions in general? We'll start with Ephesians, and then if you have broader questions, especially this is the first time you've had a chance, you may have questions from you know two months ago, and we'll see what I remember. Yes, questions. I guess we can just go home then. Okay, no, any any questions? Your name, I met you last week, and I confess I've forgotten your name. Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah, I got a question from last week, if that's all right. Absolutely. We got a question from last week. Yeah, so last week, you know, you were talking about speech, you know, from Ephesians. Yes. And you were also going through the book of Proverbs and other scriptures to kind of expand on, you know, exactly what what kinds of bad speech there is and what good speech is. And at one point you had talked about listening to worldly advice, giving that as an example of improper speech, but you didn't, I I didn't feel like you really expanded on that a whole lot. It was pretty brief, which I understand there was a lot you were trying to cover, but you, when you're talking about speech, you know, worldly advice, it seemed really ambiguous Mm -hmm. what, what that really means. Like, you know, if I'm going to the doctor and listening to their advice rather than getting instructions about my health from the Bible, is that worldly speech or et cetera, a bit of a silly example. No, no, no. Certainly. Let me (laughs) offer clarification. Um, what I was trying to make the point is some communication is corrupt because of the heart it comes from, because of the manner it comes, with scoffing, with sneering, with uh, innuendo. Other things are corrupt. The heart it comes from means well. The content is wrong. Um, if, if a woman's friends are telling her to leave her husband because he doesn't appreciate you and you need to... Uh, you need to be happy, and God wants you happy. They may mean well, and they may say that with a smile on their face, and they may say that with gentleness, mm-hmm. and it's corrupt. That's my point. Not mm-hmm. saying anything you learn in the world is corrupt, but another category of corrupt speech would be um, wrong worldly wisdom. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the qualification you want to add. Oh, I, think, okay. I think the example I gave was like Oprah. Um, yeah. Meaning when instead of going to God's word for instruction, you take the wisdom of the world that would go against God's world. Mm. And um, you know, so Jesus tells you to turn the other cheek, but your friend says, don't be a doormat. Don't put up with that. You got to <laughs> like, that's the type of corrupt communication that may happen when instead of going to scripture, but Dr. Phil, we give our response to somebody, but certainly I'm not suggesting anything you learn in the world. Like, you know, here I'm going to teach you the Pythagorean theorem in math. That's from the world. <laughs> 
But, yeah, um, certainly not. No, I don't. I would not mean to say any anything you've learned in the world is wrong, but it was more to broach the concept that whereas just what every other category of corrupt speech came evidence to corrupt heart. Mm. Here, I think maybe the evidence of the heart would be looking to trusting in the wisdom of the world, not first and foremost looking to God. Because mm. before we go to the world, we want to know what God has to say. Mm-hmm. So, what does God have to say about the Pythagorean theorem? Not a whole lot. So now I can go listen to that. But if God does speak to a topic, I'd want to start there and then go beyond that. So excellent question. Thank you for letting me offer that clarification. Um, I'm not suggesting we only ever speak scripture to each other. Amen. Thank you, Jeremiah. Okay. Other questions this week or last week or any other week? Seriously, nobody has any questions about what I said about forgiveness in the last 10 minutes or so. I don't believe you. I fully expected that to be, to see some heads turning. So, um, Carol's out of here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I got to go to another class. Oh, he's got to go teach his class on Zoom. You got to zoom over there. There you go. And any any other questions? We we can break. We, that's it. We're good. There's no reason to. Uh, there's no reason to. Uh... Maybe not continually in every area, but I don't know of anybody that doesn't struggle with some of those areas. Um either from time to time or frequently. So it's, a, it's always a good reminder. Mm. So, or maybe it's just me. Oh, no. No, it's not just you. It's not just you. Lois. So if... Um, if we have some a sin issue with someone, I can understand. I think I understand. You said if it's not a sin issue, then we just need to get over it. Or we're not dealing with, with anger and bitterness and resentment. If the stupid example I gave of somebody doesn't invite you to their barbecue, it may well be appropriate to say, "Hey, I would have really liked to have come." And but you're not dealing with sin. Any place for anger or bitterness has no place. Kill it. Crucify it. I think there might be. I was disappointed. I was sad. I think, I think that could be okay. You know, and, and you can go tell your friend that. I was, really, I was really hoping you'd invite me and you didn't. And you're not bringing a fault to them. You're really saying, in essence, you know, that you can certainly do that. So I'm not saying you have to drop it and do nothing with it. That's of a whole other sort. If it's not sinful, because we're talking about anger, and Jesus got angry, God gets angry, there is righteous anger. If it's not sinful, you have no business. You know that anger is wrong. There's, there's nothing godly about being angry at what isn't sin. God is not angry at what is not sin, right? So that's the first test, and I'm mainly checking. We need to be very suspicious. I think far, far more often we're not righteously angry when we maybe think we are, is what I'm suggesting. So the first check is if, if it's not an issue of sin and we're angry, we're wrong. Right off. Then if we think it's an issue of sin, my next thought would be name it. Because people say, no, no, name the sin. What, what sin are we talking about here? And consider it. 
And then if you want me to really break this further, my next question would be, do I know it's sin or do I think it's sin? And honestly, nine-tenths of the time, it's think, not know. I mean, it's rare that I wouldn't need to ask questions further. I mean, yeah, if I saw, you know, you just lay Greg out. But even then, like, what did Greg say to, you know, this is how people don't think. But, like, what else could be going on? Do I know I've seen sin or do I suspect it? Do I, I'm pretty confident. Um, and if I know it's sin, okay, you know, if, if someone just patently lies to me and I know it's a lie, I saw them yesterday at the mall and they said they weren't at the mall and I'm just, there's no doubt they lied. Okay. Um, then you'd want to go forward, get your heart right. Why am I going and talking to them? Am I going because King Jeremy's angry that someone tried? You tried to deceive me. Did you, you know, make sure that's not what I'm doing. Because even if it's a real sin, I still find my most immediate response in my heart is, err, me. You know, and so you got to be really careful. Okay. No, they lied. I love them. But the other piece from Leviticus being, if I don't deal with something, I am going to start resenting them or thinking of them as the liar. I am going to start hating them in my heart and growing bitterness or coldness towards them or an actual resentment and anger. If it's something where I have questions, this is getting even more nuanced. Uh, it was, the next point would be, can I hope all things? Can I, is, can I recognize there's enough benefit of the doubt that I should give it to them? In other words, the anger... This is a lot of what I see with a lot of the stuff on the news and stuff. Is there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of when people will show clips and clickbait and stuff. There are things that certainly look bad, and I'm not speaking about any in particular instance. But in most cases, I'm left saying that looks really fishy and weird. Someone needs to investigate that. I am usually not left with enough information to draw a verdict. But anger is a verdict. My heart becoming angry is. It has judged the matter. It's not investigating the matter. So if I need to investigate something further, there is now still no place for anger. Because anger is the judgment. Anger is the result. You have done this, and then here's my emotional response. If I'm saying, that looks weird, I need to look into that, i got no business being angry um, yet. I'm, that's presumption. That's, that's jumping ahead of the thing. And that's, in fact, a lot of what I see with a lot of what goes on around us is issues that, fair enough, that looks really sketchy. Fair enough, that looks really bad, you know. Um, and people not being willing to wait until information comes in. I mean, people not being willing to wait until the, the, all the facts come in. They just want to jump in with an emotional response. And it's like, no, I'm with you. I, that, this or that or the other looks really bad. <laughs> looks really fishy, but still, let's, let's wait till the facts come in. So if you know it's sin, what's one thing? If you don't, now you got to check your own emotional response because is my, are my emotions evidencing that I have, in fact, judged them and found them guilty? I need to repent of that. God tells Samuel he alone knows the heart. Because remember when Samuel looks past over, over David? He likes his older brother. The Lord does not look as man looks, but the Lord looks inwardly at the person of the heart. And I don't know your heart. And I can't pretend to. And when I judge motives, I'm pretending I'm God. Now, there certainly can be situations that are, that are certainly suspicious enough that, yeah, I'm going to need to go talk to them about that. Um, let, let's, uh, let's go with a stupid example. Um, Simeon, I borrow your car, and I notice a ton of you know, crushed up empty beer cans in the back seat. 
let's say, right? Do I know you've done something wrong? No. It's, that's, that's sketchy. <laughs> and I think it would make sense for me to come and say, Simeon, dude, especially if it happened like four times in a row, you know, like every time I borrow your car, it reeks of beer and there's cans in the back. And then you tell me, no, I've been doing a, a, a highway cleanup project. And I tried to get all the cans, but I guess some of them slid out. Like, oh, like there, there are plausible explanations. I don't have enough information there to judge you. I think I have enough information to say, I think I need to talk to Simeon, what, what's going on, right? But if I had judged you in my, I mean, the examples we get to that biblically, you think of Eli when Hannah's praying. And you think she's drunk and he rebukes her. How long will you go on in your drunkenness? I mean, that's, you, it's presumption and it's sin. So I need to check my heart and my emotions. Is this an issue that's clearly sin or is this an issue I need to investigate? And if it's an issue I need to investigate, I need to rebuke my anger. It is unjust and wicked. It, this gets back to basic like Deuteronomy 19, righteous judgments. Has there been an investigation? Has the, have the facts been looked at. One person's case seems right till another comes and examines him. Now, there are instances where you absolutely see sin. Usually it's when people get mad and start yelling and cussing. I'm like, okay, I know what that is, right? Um, most of the time, there are questions that need to be asked before you can come to a conclusion. So most of the time, I still need to check and rebuke my emotional response and recognize it for what it is. I have without sufficient evidence, without looking into the matter, judge them. This gets back to why it's so selfish and cowardly to do this, because the work is going and talking to person. The work is going and saying, hey, the last three times um, we got together, this happened. What's going on? And then that might get really awkward and complicated and messy and take some time. And it'd be a whole lot easier for me to think they're a jerk. And I'm hating them, and I'm judging them with unrighteous judgments. So that you got to see that and counsel yourself with that. And that then is usually what will propel me to talk to someone, because my heart does want to judge people. I don't know about yours, but mine definitely wants to judge people. And so I'll tell myself, no, I, there's, there's, there's explanations for this. But then I'll catch my heart being like, yeah, but they are a jerk. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got, I'm probably going to have to confess, get on my knees, and then go talk to them, because my heart is not letting go of this. But I'm not going to rebuke. I'm going saying, hey, help me out here. This is what's happened. This is what I've seen. Am I missing something that's going on? That's a really long answer, but if you want my sort of flow chart of dealing with things, the next stopper is, first, is it sin? The second is, is it that it might be sin or it's definitely sin? And then those are going to be two different applications of what you do. Okay, all that long introduction. So if, if uh, someone has um, spread a nasty rumor about you, sure, and you, conf- you find out and you confront them with it or, or talk to them about it, yeah. and they say, yeah, I did that, and I'm not, I, don't like, you know, I don't like you, so I don't feel bad about doing that. Sure. It seems like if you don't forgive them, mm. it's going to eat you up. Let me, let me clarify with this. A lot of people who insist on forgiveness without the other person's recognition, I completely agree with. I would call what they're saying a different name. There is never a place to hold bitterness, resentment. You give it over to God. So where, if I go to somebody, they, they spit in my face, and I say, hey, you just spat in my face. They're like, yeah, what of it? I'm like, oh, okay. 
Um, that was wrong. You know, that was, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't like you. I've tried to show them they're wrong. They haven't listened to me. Outside of the context of a local church where we have, um, we can bring in two or three, especially when dealing with an unbeliever, you've gone about as far as you can. On the one hand, sin, sin breaks relationships. It breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationships with each other. Our fellowship, according to 1 John, is contingent upon us walking in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus um, cleanses us from all sins. And our ongoing confession, but if we sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. So sin breaks relationships um, to lesser and greater degrees. So where I've got somebody, let, let's, let's use a, another example. Another example. Somebody once wronged me in college. I tried to talk to him about it. We never resolved it. And then we went our separate ways, right? Um, I don't allow myself to get bitter about it. If and when I think of it, if I think of this wrong, I want to go to First Peter 2, uh, where Jesus did not, he turned the other cheek when he was insulted, did not insult, he did not revile him, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Which is to say, Jesus is still saying, I would like justice to be done. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, it's okay. God will judge. And so in the meantime, when I can't be reconciled to the person, when, the, when either I haven't seen this person, God will judge. On the day of judgment, I will be satisfied. On the day of judgment, whatever complaint I had will not linger, right? Um, so I'm going to trust God with it. At the same time, if I were to bump into this person, in short order, we probably would need to have a conversation if we were going to really get back to fellowship and oneness and unity, even though it's been 10 years, right? I mean, because this is something that, that bothered me when it happened. And if I let myself dwell on it, it bothers me still. Um, I don't. Because there's nothing I can do about it, I don't dwell on it. Those are the types of things that I've committed to do to not tempt my own heart. But I don't think it would be righteous to pretend everything's fine when it's not, when secretly, every time I think about it, I go, huh. Because I think, given Leviticus, it will turn into hatred. It will turn into bitterness and anger. So... Our stance, while we want to be reconciled, what I was trying to get at this morning talking with my kids is, even while my child is mad or angry or disobeying me, I yearn for when the arms get around my neck and we're all good. That's my stance. I'm not sitting there going, that stupid kid. I mean, if I am, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, right? I'm not, how long? No, I'm, I'm moving towards that. I want that. So... What people would label forgiveness of not being resentful, not holding on to it, amen, amen, I, I'm all for that. I wouldn't call that forgiveness. I just wouldn't name that forgiveness. I would name that something like giving it over to God, giving it over to his judgment. Um, it would be trying to maintain a soft heart towards them. So all those things that people usually mean when they say forgive, I, I'm on board with. I'm great. That's great. I just wouldn't call that forgiveness because when God, here's, here's the reason why. When God forgives, he doesn't bring it up again, right? He takes it away. What if that person comes back to you and they show us off? You may have to talk about that with them. How can you if you've forgiven them? Really, if you've forgiven them, and they come back to you and say, hey, you know, I, I felt differently about spreading rumors about you. But you should really say, hey, no, that's all dealt with. That's fine. You know, we don't need to talk about that at all. But no, it may well be the best thing you could do to have that conversation with them. So everything you're saying, I would say do that. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't name it, forgive, which is a small disagreement in that sense because we're really just talking about terms. Um, I would agree. Everything that you're saying to do, I would say do. 
Um, what we call it would be the only difference. Um, does that make sense? Adam? No? Okay, still twice now, Adam. I thought you were asking a question. Okay. Anything else? Mason. So when you talked about um, inward resentment, yeah. uh, you had said briefly that <clears throat> that uh, hatred is not always associated with murder, or does it mean that? I right. guess uh, I didn't really understand that context. Can you maybe tell me why that is? Okay. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount identifies two different sins. There's hatred and there's murder. And he links the growing anger and rage, not with hatred, but with a heart of murder. So he talks about anyone who's angry with his brother without cause. Anyone who says, Raka, you fool. And the escalation gets to is guilty of murder. So if you think of different trees, the murder tree starts with anger and resentment. And it's full-born, blows into a nice murder tree. And Cain kills Abel. The hatred tree is much more... um, it's, it's much less, like, it's not twisty mustache. If you take the parable of the Good Samaritan, because I'll take you back to the Good Samaritan, the, the lawyer comes up to him and says, you know, who is my neighbor? You know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, what, what's your reading of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well done. The man wanting to justify himself said, well, who is my neighbor? So this is a discussion of Leviticus 19. A discussion of Leviticus 19 about the, the second greatest commandment. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're learning about loving your neighbor as yourself in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the opposite of love is going to be hatred. And so, which one loved? The one who showed mercy. Which ones hated? The ones who walked on by. So I'm suggesting, I'm arguing, I believe, that the part of my heart that says, dealing with Renee and her problems is just too much of a hassle. Sorry, Renee, I'm just picking on you. Yeah, I'm just not going to. Whatever. That's the same attitude as the Levite and the priest who walked on by, and that's hatred. That biblically, I would define hatred far more as an unwillingness to act in love, and just a lack of concern. Not a, I don't want anything bad to happen to this person, but quite honestly, I'd be happy if I never saw them again. I don't really care what happens to them. They could live or die. I don't care. That I'm defining as hatred. I want bad things to happen to them is more of the anger, murder thing of a different sort. Whereas simply, I don't care about you, it's hatred. It starts getting convicting because, you know, we see all sorts of people who need our help and need our encouragement. And then you have to remind yourself, am I, if I see this, and this is on my good days when God's truth is operating in my mind as it should, what goes through my head is, okay, if I've seen this area of weakness in this person, why do I think the Lord let me see that? Well, obviously, so I can feel better about myself and look down on them, right? No, so I can go help them. If I see somebody on the side of the road, what does the Lord want me to do? I'm just trying to help them. Um, and then the temptation of, yeah, but I had other plans for my afternoon. Okay, I'm sure that priest is going to say, when you ask that priest, why'd you walk by this guy on the road? I had to get to the temple in Jerusalem. I had things to do. I might get become ceremonially unclean. Um, and... Love was the guy who got messy, got dirty, put the guy in his donkey, and helped him out. So that, that's, that's where I'm coming from by defining hatred and love, which gets back to Leviticus 19 saying, hey, love your neighbors yourself, go talk to them, or you will begin to hate them. You'll, you'll become embittered towards them. I, yeah, I just don't want to deal with them. You know what? I'd, I'd rather not spend any time with them. That's a little sapling hatred tree growing up in your heart. 
Um, which is why I really have a problem when Christians say, I love them, but I don't like them. You mean you hate them? No, I love them, but I don't like them. I want nothing to do with them. I don't want to spend any time with them, but I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I'm sure the Levite, the priest, could say the exact same thing as they walked by. We wish him no ill will. Oh, Lord, send someone to help him, just not me. Can't be bothered. That's shown as the contrast of love. Right? And I'm assuming there's no third option. Well, I don't love him and I don't hate him. I, I'm neutral. I'm ambivalent. No. I think the very definition of hatred would be that ambivalence. I don't care enough. That, that's, that's what I'm putting forward as my definition of hatred. Does that, that make more sense? Okay. Any other questions? Going. Oh! a bit louder than I wanted that to be. Can you expound a little bit more on forgiveness and are there ways to check if we're doing it correctly or fully? Yeah. So forgiveness, if our forgiveness models God's forgiveness, what it is is um, a letting go. The basis of the word for forgiveness in our passage here is to release a debt. Letting go and restoring a relationship. So when God forgives us, our relationship with him is restored, which is another reason why. So, so f- to fully define forgiveness involves restored relationship, which is another reason why forgiveness with the other party doesn't recognize any wrong, doesn't really. And again, it gets down to terminology. If what you really mean is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. I'm going to stop bringing it up. I'm just going to get over it. I'm going to move on. That, that can be a healthy thing, depending on what the issue is. I wouldn't define that as forgiveness. That's not what God does. What God does is he forces the point, forces us, he brings us to a point of recognition. I'm not saying you should do this with your friend. But what God does with us, he brings us to a place of conviction. We recognize our wrong. And then we can come to one mind in agreement with God over what we've done. And then he freely forgives. He doesn't, he doesn't require things of us. He doesn't say, I'll forgive you if. We, we confess. And that's what Jesus says. Your brother in Luke, uh, I'll give you the reference again in Luke um, 17, 3 and 4, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. In simplicity, there it is. Now I'd add in those other steps of checking your own heart, making sure you don't have a log in your eye, making sure it's really sin, checking your emotions. I, I mean, all those things I'd add in. But in its simplicity, there, there it is. And then Jesus makes it clear to do that again and again and again and again and again, 70 times 7. Because that's what God does with us. So, what we aren't is the Holy Spirit. We can't force someone to see something. But what you can do is say, what I would, what I would recommend, go to, um, go to 2 Timothy 2. This is a great passage um, for this type of stuff. 2 Timothy 2 is a little broader in category, but it's about any sort of correction. It could be a doctrinal correction, but it could certainly be a correction of sin. Especially where someone doesn't see what they're doing as sin. You know, if you've got to go talk to somebody and say, Hey, I, I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I think the way you speak to me is wrong. I, I think you feel comfortable to, to treat me with rudeness and harshness. and I don't enjoy that, but more to the fact, I think you think that's okay. Right? Well, there's going to be some instruction and correction if that person is going, well, yeah, obviously. You know? um, so look at 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. The Lord's servant 
must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So there's my responsibility. I got to put up with harm because the main reason people don't want to go talk to people about sin is not because that in and of itself is bad. It's because of the fear of it going poorly. And this is what will drive me into action most often. I think to myself, okay, I've seen this issue. I've got to address this issue. Jeremy, if an, if an angel from God came to me and said, Jeremy, if you go talk to them, if I go talk to Renee Lucia, she will thank you, and she will agree, and she will change, and she will grow, and you guys will have a wonderful, encouraging time. Would I, would I hesitate? Of course not. The only reason I don't want to go talk to the person is because I'm afraid it's not going to turn out that way. But what does this verse say? Who, who determines how it's going to play out? If perhaps God will grant them repentance. So what that basically means is my reluctance to go, if I'm right, that the only reason I'm reluctant to go is because I'm afraid it's going to go poorly. I'm afraid to go because I think I know what God's going to do. That's not really a good place to go. In other words, this verse is great for saying, what's my business? Jeremy needs to be patient. Jeremy needs to be willing to be clawed and scratched because he uses that, that issue of a snare. And generally, animals, when you try to let them out of snares, don't thank you. They, they claw and bite. Um, I need to be ready for all of that. I need to be patient. I need to not be quarrelsome. I need to be able to correct them with gentleness. So there's a how-to of going and confronting someone. That, that, and so this is more than confronting sin. This, this probably has more to do even with false doctrine and stuff, but I think it covers it as well. And anytime you're correcting someone, anyone you're challenging someone, here's how to do it. You know, and, and so I, it's clear which side of the line I need to... What that, what that means is I may go talk to someone and they tell me to get lost and I'm faithful because I did the side of this that matters. I may go talk to someone, God grants repentance in spite of the fact that I was totally a jerk. In other words, I don't, I, my faithfulness does not depend on whether or not they listen to me. My faithfulness depends upon, was I uh, not quarrelsome, kind, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting my opponent's gentleness? If I can say I did that, I've been faithful, and that's how I get measured. God makes things grow. So back, back to your question, you're, you're going to talk to someone, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna show them what's bothered you. Now, sometimes they know already. And there, you make peace when you make it clear you want to forgive them. Sometimes people don't come and talk to you because they're afraid you're going to yell at them. You know? I mean, we all know that. We wrong somebody. We mess up. We mess. See, I'm already euphemizing. We sin with our speech. We sin with our actions. And then it's like, what is Simeon going to say when I go talk to him? And so Simeon, if he wants to be a peacemaker, can make it clear, like the, like the prodigal son's father, I am eager to be restored. You can certainly do things with your, with your actions, with your demeanor, to make it clear whether you're scowling, waiting for your pound of flesh, or whether you're eager to be reconciled. You can certainly communicate that. That's how you can make peace in another sense. But you're, you're initiating. If they're not initiating, you're initiating it. And hopefully even talking to them, making it clear it's not about you. If, here's a hint. If all you're saying when you talk to someone is about how you felt... You're not making this an issue of sin. You're making this an issue of you. 
Now, certainly there's a place for it, and that hurt, and that was painful. But if you're not ever making this an issue, if there's a living God who's called us to live a certain way, and his word instructs us, then you really are only communicating it's about you and your... You said that, and it hurt me so much. And I just wanted you to know it hurt me so much. If that's all you say, that's the fullness of what you've said, this isn't about God, this is about you. It's King Jeremy. And King Jeremy was very, very hurt. You know, so what? There's a place for that hurt in there, if you're going to deal with this. But what you're trying to do is turn them to the Lord. You're, you're trying to say, in effect, you did this and I think it was wrong. It hurt our relationship, and I believe it hurt your relationship with God. And I want a restoration of our relationship, and I want a fullness of your relationship with God. That's why I'm bringing this to you. That, something like that should come across from them, um, ideally, when you're talking to someone. Those are, and that's, again, you've got to get your heart, but that's what you're actually interested in. Um, because if you fake it, they'll probably pick up on it. <laughs> I, I'm very upset for the Lord's sake at what you did. I mean, they're going, to tell, they're going to smell that a mile away if you're just putting that on. So this may well be some issues in your own heart you have to deal with first. Um, is that getting close to what you're asking, or is that just all over the place? Okay, she's, you're very kind. Um, and there can even be place, this happens sometimes, there can be place for like thinking it through with someone, especially with friends. Hey, can we talk about what happened yesterday? Because that seemed weird, and I'm having a hard time thinking through it. I know I didn't like it. I'd like to know what you think was going on there. When, you, when we had that, when we, things, was it just me, or did you pick the tension that came up in that? Where did that come from? What was going on? Because I don't want that to happen again. And yet, I, I don't know what was going on in your heart. I can tell you from my end, it was unpleasant. What's, I mean, you can have that conversation. That's not a confrontation. That's simply, I love you, and I want us to have a tight relationship, and something weird, ha- like, help me out here, right? I mean, that's, that's slightly different. Those are great conversations to have, too, where you don't even know what's going on. All I can say is it was unpleasant and it was weird. And if I, if I, if, if I caused that, I want to stop doing that. And I'd like to know what you think, what happened with that. Yeah, have that conversation. That's great. Um, anything else? Go in peace. We are dismissed. Thank you.